Welcome, everybody. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a movie. This week, we are covering I'm Thinking of Ending Things. The new film by Charlie Kaufman, uh, the acclaimed writer-director. This just came out on Netflix, and it's, it's open to swell reviews. It was in the Netflix top 10. Charlie Kaufman is going to be a big subject today. You might recognize some titles such as Being John Malkovich, Adaptation with Nick Cage, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind with Jim Carrey, uh, Anomalisa, uh, Synecdoche, New York. Those are the big ones. This is going to be a bit of a thick one in terms of maybe some spoilers. I, this is hard to speak about because of the abstract nature. Some might say he's known for his weirdness, but it's more surrealness and we'll get into all of that. But it is, a lot of his stuff is open to multiple interpretations and things like that. And that's what most people are covering when it comes to this movie. So we might dip our toes into that. Real quick, I'm, in, I'm thinking of ending things. Is it, Nothing is as it seems as a young woman travels with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded farm. Upon arriving, she comes to question everything she thought she knew about him and herself. So this is a bit of a Rubik's Cube of a film. It cuts back and forth between two main timelines. This couple, as, as I said, visiting his parents and this janitor walking through the halls of a, a deserted high school. Um, and and how does it all intermingle? And, and you yeah. get the sense very quickly that it's all connected. And you want to figure out what every piece of it means going around, along. So it it's quite engaging. And, it, and you could say it's overwhelming. It would be excruciating to not know what you were walking into for this. I, <laughs> I, would, I would say if you'd never seen yeah. you don't if you're not familiar with Charlie Kaufman's work or if you're not ready to, you know, really... Walk yourself back about what a movie can be like. This could be kind of abrasive. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The interesting thing with Charlie Kaufman. So, like we said, he's known for writing these artistic, non commercially viable, very existential pieces. Heady. Yeah. Very. He's only, so for example, he's only adapted one other thing. Everything else is his own creation. And the thing that he adapted, Evan mentioned already, is called adaptation, but it is an absolute mess of, a, of an adaptation in a good way, <laughs> in the sense that he goes completely off the rails. And instead of it being an adaptation of the book, it's about him trying to adapt this book that he can't adapt. He like goes into make... the movie. There's other ver versions of him. I actually uh, really love that movie. I saw it yeah. just a few years ago, and I and I really really adore it. That movie I thought was a really uh, in a lot of ways light and engaging in a, in a really mm -hmm. fast paced kind of way. It had a lot of humor, um, and that this might is a be bit more. Yeah. yeah, this is a bit more dark. This edges on walking up to the door of thriller at moments. It feels like it's about to become like some sort of shock scare, but it never mm -hmm. actually does get to that point it just is really successful at evoking that paranoia for just a few key moments mm -hmm. so yeah so charlie kaufman is known for that sort of surrealist thing so i figured we'd start talking about him and then how he got to this thing and who the author is and how they collaborate on something right. like this since he is so uniquely identified other surrealist stuff we talked about it last week philip k dick Charlie Kaufman has cited as an influence. A lot mm. of people would compare their stuff as well as Franz yeah. Kafka, who did the metamorphosis, David Lynch in terms of film, all living in that sort of sphere. Yes, very much. Especially in being John Malkovich. That's the, mm -hmm. As far as like going back to Philip K. Dix, we mentioned that last week. So much about that is questioning the, your identity, yourself. It was, mm -hmm. There's so much of Philip K. Dick themes that I see running through 
um, being mm-hmm. John Malkovich. It's really fascinating yeah. stuff. And it's usually twisty turny when it comes to the plot and maybe even nonsensical, it might seem on the outset, because it's not so much, and this is hard for modern audiences to grapple with, it's not about solving the plot like a puzzle or this twist at the end. And it's right. like, oh, now it all makes sense. It's more about taking in the piece as a whole. So while Kafka, which he would be most compared to, is more of the social bureaucracy questioning those things, Kaufman okay, is more yeah. of the existential human individual. Uh-huh. Why am I here? Which kind of ties into Philip K. Dick's stuff as right, well. Right, right, right. So let's, let's, let's go into where in the world he came from. Cause I find that's often interesting when it comes to these artists, especially yeah. ones that are trying to do something very different. And it gives hope to us all if we are trying to break the mold. So he did drama in high school, went to NYU to study film, among one of his classmates I found at NYU is Chris Columbus, who we talked about in our Harry Potter oh, episode. Oh, no way, yes. The director, yeah. And Kaufman has been writing scripts and plays and sending them out to unsolicited people, which you're not supposed to do in the film world. But he's always <laughs> writing these things, although he's mentioned, and we often talk about influences and encouragement, he did. He said he got one response from Alan Arkin, who he sent a script to, and he had oh, sent man. back obviously not interested, but a very lovely and encouraging letter. And that sort of kept spurring him on to send out these things and to try and make something. And a lot of the stuff he's doing at this point is very much comedy. And you can feel that more so in his earlier works, Mm -hmm. a lighter levity to what he's doing. At this point, though, he's not in LA, not in New York either. He ends up working in Minneapolis at the newspaper for five years. And he's still trying to write these scripts on spec. And he decides, you know what, I'm going to make the jump. In 1991, he moves to L.A. and tries to get work. But the only place he gets is this Comedy Central show. And it's about like public access TV. And coincidentally enough, it's in Minneapolis that the job is. So he's like... Uh Oh, God, I have to to go go back to Minneapolis. (laughs) Logging right back. At the last second, he gets a call to write on this show, Get a Life, which is on Fox. And so he's able to stay. But it's like if he had accepted that, it's like he he said, I would never have gone back to LA. Like I would have just kept doing what I was doing. It seemed like my life was in Minneapolis. Um, But because of that, he stayed. He ended up writing... 30 episodes of random different TV shows through the 90s, all the time writing pilots and scripts that end up being rejected. So he has this whole body of work that has never been made and won't be seen as far as trying to get something out there for TV Oh, fascinating, yeah. And then a movie you mentioned, being John Malkovich, he wrote in 1994. And nothing came of it until 1997. And now at this point, he's 39 years old. John Malkovich saw it, and it's hard to explain the premise of it. But it's John. It's it's about this puppeteer who finds this portal into the mind of John Malkovich, and you can control him. A million other things happen, but it's very bizarre, and it's the fact that he had written it specifically about John Malkovich, and John Malkovich loved Just it. And it's like, well, this is, you know, that's as far as it went there for a couple of years. Nothing yeah. happened with it because you've got to get all these people involved. Producers sure. were too scared to take it on. But it's interesting that John Malkovich was, because it's like, if this is terrible, then it's my name on the title and I'm the main person. Uh, but if it's yeah. great, it's a genius move by me as an actor to choose this. R.E.M.'s company, the, the band, their company bought it. And that's how they got Spike Jones on to I direct. I was going to say, yeah, this yeah. is Spike Jones' directorial debut, if I'm not mistaken. As well. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. He's perfect too because he's so fantastical as well. And this is the, mm-hmm. this is his really just his his burgeoning out. This is a, such a beautiful crossroad here. All these forces coming together on such a wild, just an amazing mm-hmm. idea. This is also one that is is a bit more comedic. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. silly. I mean, seriously, somebody pushes a a like a file cabinet against a wall out of the way, and there's just this tube that leads you down <laughs> and just to the eyes. You're seeing through the eyes of of John Malkovich, like you go down a slide. I mean, it's just bizarre. Yeah. Uh, and if people really found that, what would they do with it? And it's so it's so fascinating. It's such a and trip. surreal, yeah. <laughs> and it it does make sense then looking at Charlie Kaufman's previous history. He's been trying to write, and he writes comedy, and he's written comedy plays, and he's written comedy TV. It's like he he has that more of that mindset to it. Yeah. So then that happens. He gets more interest in Hollywood. The next thing he comes out with is adaptation, which is Spike Jones again. And like yeah. we said, it's this bizarre thing where he's. He got the book, The Orchid Thief, which is a nonfiction story by this gal, Susan Orlean, and he is trying to adapt it. And then he, the story he comes up with is instead of it being about the thing that he's trying to adapt, it's, it's about him trying to adapt the thing. He comes up <laughs> with his fake- It's about him breaking the, his mental breakdown as he cannot mm-hmm. bring himself to adapt this book that yeah. he just seems to be disinterested in. <laughs> he, come, he comes up with a fake brother who is also credited <laughs> on the screenplay who appears as Nicolas Cage through technical wizardry twice in the film. Like it's him sitting, Nicolas Cage sitting next to Nicolas Cage goes off the rails into this crazy ending because I guess the whole thing is that he wants to not have it be like a Hollywood movie. That's why he's struggling right. with adapting something. And, then and I'm it's glad like, you said that. I'm, glad, mm-hmm. I'm so glad you said that. Is, 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 is the railing against wanting it to be normal, uh, so typical. And that's what I find so interesting about his work time and time again is he's really trying to find a different way to make it engaging. The way he presents mm-hmm. things, the way he tries to show you, show you, it's really an experience. Every scene nearly is an experience, almost a, in just a different yeah. level. Well, for example, um, one of the, one of the scenes in adaptation. He is on the set with his fake brother of being John Malkovich. So there's all these actors and directors <laughs> that came back to be in the scene that they were filming. And so you get so confused. <laughs> Actually, him and his fake brother were nominated for the Oscar. They didn't win. But it, it just people got so confused about like, who is Charlie Kaufman? Does he have a brother? What what was the movie that he made before? Was this made while they were filming being John Malkovich? Just beautiful. Became, I'm kissing my oh, <laughs> <laughs> just this meta narrative of insanity. So that got him even more publicity now. And it's weird because it was like, it was hard to make. You had, he had to get all the actors on board even for this, because like we said, oh, it is pushing. I mean, it's just, a, it's, it seems like a beautiful nexus being John Malkovich, being able to bring all those types of talent together for this. I mean, that mm-hmm. just alone must just should be a great vote of confidence going into something like adaptation, but adaptation on its own then is so yeah. bizarre. Just a writer breaking down, relenting, mm-hmm. not wanting wanting to write this movie and, and somehow right. he becomes the movie. And that's um, yeah, I, I was watching a lot of interviews with Charlie Kaufman and it's like he's not it's it's not one of those people where it's like oh I just sit down and it get blast out 6000 words. It's like no this he enjoys right. it. He's not saying I don't enjoy it, but it is he acknowledges that it is a difficult it's not thing. Easy, yeah. Which I appreciate. So the next thing yeah. he did is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which won the Oscar moves on to direct now. So he wrote and directed Synecdoche, New York, which did horribly in the box office, but is critically revered 
as one of the most amazing things, but it, it is Hailed. a heavy, Absolutely. heavy, it's probably the last thing you should watch of his because it is the most abstract and perhaps not even entertaining, but the thematics and the symbolism. Right. I, I, I haven't, whole. I have not, I have not tried to watch that one, but you say you have actually. I tried so. and then, yeah. And then it was just, I, I went to YouTube and there's this, this guy, I'll post links, but he has done like a five hour analysis, you know, minute by minute of all the different things that it's referencing and all oh, of the different illusions. So it's just crazy. No, I, so that one day I absolutely will just got to be ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that maybe even now deviated him more so from the Hollywood sphere because he right. wrote a musical comedy called Frank or Francis and it's about oh. uh, movie critics, which is interesting. And the, oh, uh, yeah. the finances fell through. It had a ton of people on it. Jack Black was in it, just lots and lots of people, but they still oh, couldn't man. get the final 10 million bucks. Wow. Many other feature scripts as well that were written but not produced, one of which I thought was interesting. He had written an adaptation of A Scanner Darkly, which is the oh, Philip K. Really? Dick thing. But then Linklater obviously got it and wrote his own script. So, But I, I found a link. You can read the Charlie Kaufman version of A Scanner Darkly. Well, there you go. Uh, I mean, the, the Philip K. Dick thing is no coincidence. Then he, right. you know, he's, he's aware, absolutely. He's vibing that's with how, it. That's yeah. amazing, yeah. So like all that to say, all of this time after Synecdoche, New York, just tons and tons of things that he's still writing, 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 nothing's happening. He wrote a play that was made called Anomalisa. And in uh, 2015, his friend Dino, who's a producer, wanted to make it into a stop motion film. So that hmm. one was actually crowdfunded. Um, oh, I didn't know. That I actually didn't know any of this. I had no yeah. idea that it was a pre-existing material. That's crazy. Yeah, it was a play that he wrote. So like I said, he's, he's constantly writing and doing all this stuff, but it just is hard in the Hollywood sphere. So this I'm thinking of ending things is his first new movie in five years because that one came out in 2015. Right. So that's why it's such a big deal because he is so prolific but not made, I guess. Right. And, and his first adaptation since making adaptation. <laughs> right. <laughs> so how does how is he actually going to go now and try to make a an actually faithful to mm -hmm. I mean Yeah, so how did this get chosen then if it is 5 years right. in between and he is very selective and he's jaded by this you know maybe he's not right. jaded by And the then system, he ends up doing like, an adaptation. Yeah. Let's talk about the author Ian Reed, Canadian writer, Kingston, Ontario is where he lives. The book came out in 2016 and this is his first novel which is also wild. Wow. He is he was 35 years old when it came out. He has actually written, people get this wrong, I see it all online, that this is not his first book. It is his first novel. So he had written two other books oh. before. They're two memoirs. And I'll just read you the titles. One of them is called One Bird's Choice, A Year in the Life of an Overeducated, Underemployed 20-something Who Moves Back Home, which came out in 2010. Mm. And then his other book was The Truth About Luck, What I Learned on My Road Trip with Grandma. So you can tell both of these are very gotcha. light, fun, happy pieces. And right, so right, right around the time- his pretense to anyway. <laughs> right. You know, that seems pretty, <laughs> I'm silly, you know, yeah. in a way. Or something you write in your 20s about, haha, I'm just right. you know, working my way through life. What am I learning? What do I know? Trying to own it, yeah. Mm -hmm. So right around the second, you know, the time the second memoir is coming out, his agent asks him, well, what's next? And he says, I have this idea for a story. It's pretty disturbing and it's a novel. And again, what I love about this is she encouraged him right away. Keep going. Cool. Do it. Oh, man. Yeah. And so that compels him then in three years to, to come up with this thing. Wow. 
And the book itself, in terms of the positive sides, he was like, I was thinking about a lot of the people in my life who bring meaning to it, and that counters some of the darker elements of the story. So it was still coming from a place of gratitude as opposed to a nihilistic right. place, which I thought was interesting, which we can see with okay. Charlie Kaufman too. He also is questioning these things, but he's not, he doesn't hate everything or isn't right. as a vendetta against people. The other thing that's cool about the book is it's super short for these kinds of things. And he admits to wanting to do this in this way. He's like, I know people are busy and hopefully you could read it in one or two sittings. It's weird. Oh, yeah. He thinks that like movies you sit down and watch, but a book you read over the course of four weeks. He's like, I <laughs> wanted something that just moved and you could go along with it. Very cool. And then, yeah. Yeah. And it's not even, he says like, it's not a horror thriller kind of, you can see how the pieces are coming together with Charlie Kaufman. It's more of a literary novel. It's mm. unsettling and philosophical. And a lot of what the book is, is internal, the girl's thoughts. And so he's like, how yeah. is this ever going to become? He never even thought it would become right. a that's, film. That's not that's even so antithetical radar. to a movie and to a screenplay is you, you can't convey thought. That is the magic trick. If you're going to do that, like, well, how are you going to visually represent it and weave it in auditorially? Yeah. Um, and that's why it takes like somebody like Charlie Kaufman to the, who's tr always trying to make the mundane almost engaging. That's actually mm -hmm. a, a trick that's interesting to pull off. How does he yeah. do it and what kind of pieces does he actually use to construct it? Yeah. So here's how it got made then. So Ian Side, okay. shortly after the book came out, agents talked to him. They said, well, we should shop this around as a film. But yeah, like we said, it's a literary philosophic thing with some tense moments, but it's not what he, you know, what he thinks Hollywood is looking for. So some right. producers and people were interested because it had gained some clout. But Reed had said that it felt disingenuous because he had said in these interviews, it was always a bunch of people on the call and it seemed like they hadn't read it or that these producers, yeah. they just wanted to be the ones to get it, to do something with it later or figure out how can we make this into a horror film? Oh, and he's God. like, it isn't any of that stuff. So then he gets the message from his agent saying, would you have time next week to talk to Charlie Kaufman? And he says mm -hmm. he looked down at his little calendar desk and it's just completely blank. And he's like, yeah, I could probably manage that. Um, <laughs> he knows Smooth, Charlie. walking yeah, yeah. off. <laughs> well, that's what you got to do when you're just starting out. You got nothing. You're like, well, let me see. You're flipping through a blank well, calendar. I, I can't cancel that. <laughs> yeah, maybe, uh, thir maybe Thursday three. <laughs> yeah, because you got to pick a time that normal people would be calling. Yeah. <laughs> Now on Charlie's side wow. of things, Charlie's just checking things out online. He goes on Amazon.com. Remember, this is 2016. Amazon had recommended it to him based on his previous history. So this is a case where the algorithm prevails, makes oh, sense God. that on Charlie Kaufman's Amazon account, they would think, oh, well, yeah. you might like this. So he Amazon got yeah. this movie made. <laughs> yeah. So Charlie Kaufman bought it, read it. And then called his agent, hey, has anybody gotten the rights to this yet? And then that's how he gets in. So in completely unaware that Reed's agent is putting this out to people, he came to it of his own volition via the Amazon algorithm, which told him, hey, you might like this. Um, God. And the reason that he wanted to do it, maybe you've already made it clear, but it's the dream logic of it all. But then the other thing, now we know, he said, Charlie admits to this. He's like, it was contained. It's small. They're really like four characters. There's only a few locations. Most of it's in either a car, the house, or the mm -hmm. high school. And so this seemed like I could definitely get financing for this, which right. is his main concern. Right. But it's also kind of sad, right. but it's true. He's like, well, I'm not going to make something and go through all the stuff that I've been going through the past, my whole career, basically. So it's that initial call that makes it all happen. And you can really see, well, they are very much in line with, we want to do something a little bit outside the mainstream. It gets popularity, but it's labeled wrong. 
So they end up meeting in person in Reykjavik, Iceland at Ian's guest house. What? And I'll explain, and this was me going on a, on a rabbit hole of research, <laughs> Please. but here's a side note. So Ian's sister, Eliza, is the first lady of Iceland. And here's how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who wrote the book, his sister is the first lady of Iceland. So she had been living there. For, she had been living there for over a decade, and her husband was a historian at the University of Iceland. There was public demand that he He's might not run the for king. No, 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 <laughs> not since the forties. Um, there was there was public demand that he might run for president, so they said, "Why not?" And he won. So her husband becomes the president of Iceland. He was they actually because it's four year term, so he was reelected in okay. June this past June with ninety two percent of the vote. So he is. Super popular. So that makes his brother-in-law is the president of Iceland. Oh, my God. So that's I why was... they met there. Uh, okay. It's yeah, just that beautiful. Makes... And just in terms of her, she's a very, <laughs> yeah, she's a very active first lady, very cool, very progressive. Oh, yeah. uh, she, they both wore rainbow bracelets when visiting Mike Pence. Um, just because oh, he has. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so Fun. very, very interesting people. Which I just thought that was great because it sounds like something Kaufman Fantastic. would write right into right. his story that oh, this person's God, yeah. sister is the becomes the first lady of Iceland. Um, you know, so shrug it off. <laughs> <laughs> Come meet me in Reykjavik. So they vibe. Eh. Um, now they're in the mix of things. Now they got to make this thing. What's the creative process like for this, which we often discuss in terms of adaptations? Charlie and Netflix are both open to Reed being a part of the process, and he's a co-producer. But like okay. we, I think this reminded me a lot of Jojo Rabbit, the yeah. fact that he said he didn't want to get in the way and make demands, or even like uh, Ron Chernow with Hamilton. He was like, I just want to be more of a consultant because, right. according to him, quote, he Resource. said maybe he said maybe they'll see something in the story that I don't. I love that. I love that. Yeah, uh, an open eye to it because I mean, and that's what Charlie Kaufman wants is to what did you derive from it? Because that says ultimately that says so much more about you than anything that just spoon fed to you. Yeah, um, if you're willing to go there, and it's like if you're signing on Charlie Kaufman, you have to know it's not going to be what you made. Yeah, Ian Reid had said, "quote There's a cliche that the book is always better." which is silly. They're two different mediums <laughs> and they're inherently different things. The more different they are, Amen. the better it can be for the book and the movie. Amen. Now, now with this Charlie Kaufman thing, people are going back like the book is a companion piece to the film because it's so abstract. People are like, well, what happens in the book that he's trying to get across? So it actually helps each if you're trying to figure out what's going on with it. I was definitely getting that sense right up before we got on. I mean, because I had just freshly watched the watched it, and then you gave me kind of a once over on on what, and I went, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah." Adds up, check, check. I could see how it could be a really fun guide, actually, to take the book back, watch the film if you're interested in how these kinds of things work. If you're interested in what this looks like and how 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 things are adapted. I mean, right now I'm I'm in the middle of listening to Jurassic Park and I've almost forgotten that was of novel first, you know, right. like so I'm seeing like how did they go about the pieces mm -hmm. and what pieces did they keep? How did they change the pieces and reappropriate them for mm -hmm. the medium and how did that benefit the story and each? Yeah. I love doing that. And that, I mean that's partly why we do this show. So but this yeah. is, this seems like a, a, a really, really fun one. I, th I think that could be super engaging if you're interested in this to really sit down with the book and the movie together and mm -hmm. and and walk through and piece the piece the things together. I mean it, it's such a Russian doll. Uh and this I, is, I, that sounds yeah. like a fun time actually. As far as the production itself, 
unfortunately with Charlie Kaufman, it's always a struggle. So it's 30 days that they gave him and then it ended up being reduced down. So it was only 24 days to shoot. What in the world? Pretty short. And so they were in the car for about five of those days because a lot of the movie takes place in the car. So it's almost like a play, but he was like, it was just frantic and hellacious. Um, So our last bit is why is this important as a movie or as a book or some of these things? And I think it, first of all, it's interesting that they both start with a comedic light edge, both Ian yeah. Reed and Charlie Kaufman. But their yeah. their themes they're working on are a lot of the same things. And also that they both never thought of this as a twist ending, like a psychological thriller, even though I would say both of them are probably marketed that way. Right. I mean, you have to fit it in some sort of box. I mean, uh, that's right. the predicament is like, well, how do you market something like this? You have to kind of make it feel like a thing you you can recognize as an as an audience member. OK, that's that's more that's a scary movie to a degree, you know, and, and that's mm-hmm. just a tough call a lot of the time. Um, so uh, it's, I'm glad I didn't see too much, uh, press about this. I don't know exactly how you would market this other than (laughs) maybe the obvious leaning on the paranoia, edging up on psychological thriller, but not really. You kind of just have to say it's Charlie Kaufman and be like, well, I know kind of what I'm getting into, but the point is to not know what you're getting into. Right. And then the last bit, I would say probably the most important thing of it is if only because you like people that are pushing the bounds of what's commercially viable within a system. The fact that right. Ian Reed's book became super popular and it's like, well, this is almost a, it's a 200 page little micro movie existential, maybe scary story. And then Charlie Kaufman's thing is on Netflix and it's I don't understand how with all of his success, I mean, uh, uh, the clear track, I mean, why in the world? somebody like him having to put up with i mean a 30 days is already a bit short right. why is why is somebody of his caliber of his status dealing with that type of deal I, because I just, maybe his stuff doesn't make money and that's what he's saying with netflix it's like yeah. i don't care i don't care I nobody so, cares yeah. how much people can watch it five times i mean that's the beauty of a lot of his stuff it's like well i want to watch that again to see what oh, i absolutely. missed absolutely and with netflix it's so it's so thick it's so layered uh Again, going back, I love the idea of having the book along as a companion piece almost, which is so mm-hmm. interesting to me coming from somebody who with adaptation basically said, I, I, I don't want to do adaptation. <laughs> Here he is doing a really well thought out, yeah, fresh take on adaptation. And a lot of the lines are lifted word for word and a lot uh, base, uh, going through it. It is very, very similar. I, I just have the utmost respect for, I mean, trying to keep this engaging because you could take a lot of the same set pieces and actors and, and all of this design that went into this film and tell a kind of linear movie that honestly in the, ends up, oh, it was all a dream. So, you know, <laughs> like and it would be dissatisfying to plainly put it out there. Oh, you know, here's just some random voiceover. At no, at no time in, in, in particular, <laughs> that's what he brings to these types of things. Really having you on the edge of your seat trying to, what does this shot mean? Yeah. And it's not that it's devoid of meaning. It's the, it is evocative. Whatever the image is, I, I don't even know how he does it. He can make the mundane just feel like a Rubik's Cube. I mean, for real. Not yeah. that there's anything exactly to solve, but what is it supposed to be derived? What is supposed to be drudging up out of you? I love that type of thing when you can turn away from a movie and go and really have a discussion. What did you think? What was this to you? And nobody's wrong. 
Mm-hmm. This is A plus kind of. This is A grade <laughs> stuff. I I can't yeah. imagine why he is dealing with oh, six less days. Well, I mean, money. yeah, it yeah. doesn't make money, but good lord. <sighs> I just um, wanted to bring up one one last little thing. If you're into yeah. this, so we were wondering what happened in those five years that. He, Charlie Kaufman wasn't doing anything or not making a film. Quote, not doing anything. Right. Around. <laughs> no. Well, so he, he wrote a book. It just came out this year also. Really? It's called Ant Kind. It's 720 pages. It's this massive. He was like, I want to make something that would be impossible to make into a movie. So, oh my God. Is that the thesis of it? It's like, I'm kind of, this, yeah. And you can't make this into. <laughs> And then Ian Reed has a second novel that came out in 2018, and it's called Foe, and it's more of a sci-fi thing. Very oh. similar rural confusion, tension, existential dread, that kind of thing. And the reason there's a sci-fi element to it is because, so his sister is the first lady of Iceland. His brother is a rocket scientist who works at sure. Mission Control in Houston. And every time they Casual. would see anything sci-fi, his brother would be like, well, that isn't how it would happen. Or you couldn't do that or this or that. So he's just like, well, <laughs> you tell me what and used him as a well, resource. What do you want to see in him? <laughs> <laughs> in a book. So he wrote that. Do it. It, yeah, it's uh, it actually is also bought. And Ian Reid is working on the screenplay as well, as opposed to just oh, producing wow. it, seeing on the sidelines. Um, produced by the company that did such things that we've talked about before. Defending Jacob, Catch-22. Electric Dreams, oh, The Laundromat, okay. and then also was involved in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, so hopefully that'll be in good hands as well. As, yeah. as a as a I could definitely thing. be up for uh, if this is more psychological thriller tinged. We wouldn't <laughs> say put it in that box, but if it's if it's going up an alley, maybe it's that one. I would love to see him uh, in the sci-fi realm. That would be really fantastic. Yeah, as well. Beautiful. Well, there we have it. That was uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you, Evan. Get in touch with us at AlliteratePod on Instagram. Next week, we're going to be doing another audience choice, so get your suggestions in uh, at AlliteratePod on Instagram. Um, You never know. We're always looking for audience suggestions for episodes, so it could be yours. Thank you so much, and we will catch you next week. (laughs) 